0: Father, thank you, God, that we can come as we are, broken, unworthy, incapable. Our lives are a mess. God, we're hurting on the inside. We feel like we've done so many things wrong, and there's no way that we could even be used by you. We feel just so incapable, Father. We're not even worthy to pray. We're not even worthy to say your name. God, we're so broken. We're so empty. We're so ashamed. And you give us an invitation. You give us one word where all of that is taken care of, that all of that is washed away and made perfectly clean. You just simply say, Come just come. God we're not even worthy to hear those words. We're not even worthy for you to call us. But you do. You do. Father thank you Lord for being full of mercy that we don't deserve. Thank you for speaking to us even though we don't deserve to hear. we do love you. We are so in love with you. Be glorified now as our hearts are open to you as you give the invitation to simply come. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So we're starting a new series today, I think. Unless God changes my mind in the next 10 minutes. I think we are. It's about giving. I know what everybody says. Oh, great. Another pastor is going to give another sermon about giving. Maybe a whole sermon series on giving. He's ready for us to whip out our pocketbooks, our checkbooks, our wallets. I will start pouring out, right? No. Not in this place. Is that part of it? Is giving financially, is it part of it for God's kingdom? Yes, it is. But imagine if you will, you're standing there at the altar with your bride or your groom and the the pastor, the the person performing the ceremony, whoever that may be, is going through this whole list of things You, you promised to honor and to keep her and to... To have her and hold her in sickness and in death and, and and you know, just all of these things on and on and on about, about how you're supposed to, to have a relationship with this person. And instead of saying, I do, you can you say simply, well, I don't know about all that, but she can have my paycheck. Right? That's not what a relationship is about. Am I right? It's not just about the money. Giving is not just about money. Giving is so much more than that. Giving is is so much beyond what most people think about and what they, they talk about and what they expect, especially in the church environment. They think that giving has to do with putting money in that offering plate or as we do it here, those gray buckets that have simple church written on the side of them. Giving is about so much more than that. We just got done with Christmas. So everybody has this idea what giving is, right? It's better to give than to receive. And we say all those things when it comes Christmas time, don't we? It's better to give than to receive. In the kingdom of God, to give, to truly surrender your heart and life to Christ, And to give as God has called you to give, it probably costs more than you think. It is literally a blank check with your life to God saying, whatever you have for me, I am saying yes to it. And that is what being a Christian is. Even when it comes to loving your enemies. The people you hate the worst, the people you don't want a relationship the most, those are the people God has called you to love Those are the people God has called you to give your heart to. And you're like, whoa, hang on a second. I'd much rather write a check. Am I right? Can I tell you a quick story? It's kind of a funny story. I guess I don't have to ask since I'm up here and you're out there. But I was at Jacksonville Beach. Because typically, well, let me say this, typically we want some sort of recognition or we want some sort of praise if we give from our hearts. Am I right about that? That's the human side of us. We want everybody to kind of know about it. Oh, they gave so and so. As a matter of fact, there are three things that God says to the person of Jesus Christ that we're supposed to do more in private than we do in public. There are three things. You know what those are? Fasting, giving, and prayer. You're supposed to do those things in private way more than you do them in public. That means we're not supposed to get the praise for them by men. But the, the human nature side of us wants people to know and they want to see like so-and-so recognize what I gave. I've been in that situation. Let me tell you a quick story about being in Jacksonville Beach, Florida. My family and I go there sometimes just because it's out of the, the way of Panama City and Mobile and all that stuff where everybody else goes to and those places are really crowded and in Jacksonville Beach this is a plug for Jacksonville Beach, all right? It's, it's more secluded. There's restaurants there and good places to eat and all that stuff, but there's just not a ton of people on the beach so that you can't even walk without stepping on somebody. I mean, like, it's actually more spread out, so it's, I enjoy it quite a bit. But we were out there, you know, and, and I see off in the distance, off to my left, a couple of guys, or I see one guy, I should say. I see one guy, like, waving his arms, And he's going, I mean, like, the waves are pretty good out there. And he's, like, waving his arms like this. Now watch him for a minute. That's not good. A dude bobbing up and down in the water, waving his arms, probably not a good thing. So I go over to the lifeguard, right? That makes good sense. Unless unless the lifeguard's like my particular lifeguard that day. Blonde hair, very tan, good-looking, muscular dude. You know what I'm talking about? Like, I mean... And I say, dude, because that's probably the word he said a lot. You know, he probably dude, you know. And I, I'm like, hey, man, because I, I kind of climb up on this little red podium thing there. And I'm like, hey, buddy. And they, and he's I mean, he's got. I promise you, as sure as I'm sitting here, he has got this look on his face with his Oakleys on. They're, they're white. Uh, he's got his white Oakleys on. He's looking. I say, hey, buddy. Um, There's a guy over there waving his arms up and down in the water. You might want to, I don't know, check on him. Maybe get out your binocular thingies and take a look and make sure, you know, he's not dying or something. And, and, And he goes, oh, yeah. I can see the concern in his heart for this guy bobbing up and down in the water out there. He said, yeah, I'll watch, man. So he looks back this way, never. I watch him the whole time because I'm looking at the dude out there. Then I go back and I sit down and I'm like, he's not going to do anything. He's not going to do anything. And he's sitting there, he's just, you know, doing this. So I said, Kasha, I got to go check on that guy. I said, I, look, I'm not like some kind of avid swimmer or something. I, I mean, you can tell from my physique, I am not like just ready to go out and exhaust myself in the ocean. I, I don't do the Iron Man, none of that stuff, okay? Like, like, that's not me, okay? But I got to go help this dude because he's out there waving his arms. I said, I got to go. And he is way out there. And I don't mean like he's out there. I mean, he is way out there. And I'm thinking, I don't even know if I can make it to this guy. So I start swimming. I give cash him my sunglasses. I got to go. I got to go check on him. I start swimming and I am dying. Look, I mean, I'm in like my, you know, like I am dying trying to get out there to this guy. Lifeguard, still perched on this little red podium, never pays me any attention. I'm swimming out to this dude, waving his arms. So then I see uh, uh, like a, a windsurfer guy, like he's got the kite thing, I don't know, kite surfing, windsurfing, whatever. And he's got the, he's holding on and he's out there skiing and stuff. Well, he actually recognizes the guy w- waving his arms, too, and he drops down in the water right beside him. And he's still holding on to his kite and, like, trying to help this guy. And I'm like, well, yeah, there's something going on, man. Somebody's got to help this guy. So I keep swimming. And I get out there. The kite surfer dude has got a hold of this guy, and this guy has got a hold to, uh, like, a, a, a kayak of some sort that has flipped over. And and, and he's he's like, struggling. I mean, both these guys are struggling. One guy's trying to hold on to his kite so it didn't go away. The other guy is like hanging on to the, and I asked the guy, I finally get out there, I'm about out of breath anyway, and I asked the guy, dude, is there anybody else with you? Are you all alone? This is what he said in response to me. He said this, he said, that's all I got. That's it. That's all I got. I said, man, is there somebody else here? Are you alone? You know what he said? That's all I got. Nothing. He said nothing. I'm out here. There's a kayak turned over. A dude with his, his, his wind kite like hanging on to it. And I'm like, I'm, I'm going to try to help this guy as best I can. Finally, I start taking him and the kayak back towards the beach, Right? And we get to a place where he can stand up, and the dude won't stand up. I'm like dragging him, dragging the kayak. The windsurfer guy has gone on doing his thing, and he still won't. Sw- I'm like, put your feet down, man. Like, stand up. I continue to drag that guy. Finally, we get out, we get close enough to the beach where he can actually, he can't, he can, he'd be scrubbing his knees if he didn't stand up. So he starts, walking, and I look, and there's another dude out there. Now, luckily, this guy has his life vest on, so he's bobbing up and down out there, but he has a life vest on, and so I swim back out there, and I'm like, why is he not swimming towards the shore? You see the sand over here? Swim that way, you know, like, that's not hard to comprehend. I finally get out there. You know what I do? I swim beside him while he swims toward the shore. I guess he needed somebody to show him which way he needed to swim. I don't understand. I mean, I'm like, I am so confused. The whole time we start swimming together, and I help him a little bit, but he's swimming with his life vest on the best he can. The whole time we're out there, you know what, th- this guy speaks, that's the good news. The good news is this guy speaks, so that was cool, right? Like he's, he's, he's not mute, he can actually speak, so he's talking to me, you know what he's saying? All he's doing is cussing the guy that was in the kayak with him, <laughs> all he's doing is that blah, 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 he can't swim, he got me out in this kayak, He blah, blah, blah. And I thought, man, I am out here dying to try to save you. And all you're talking about is that dude. Man, how about some kudos for me going, thank you for dying, trying to save me. I know you don't have a life vest on, and I do, but I appreciate you swimming all the way out here to show me where the sand was. And you know, I wish I would have gotten some kind of accolades from the guy. I got nothing. All he did was cuss the other guy. So I drag him up on the shore, too. We finally get up there, and, and, oh, man, I forgot to tell you the best part, though. When I was out there, I went back to get the second guy. The lifeguards came. (laughs) No, 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 no. That ain't the best part. The lifeguards came 100 yards down the beach that way. A whole truck full of young, blonde-headed tan dudes in red with their little things go running towards the beach. And I think, man, they're coming to get us. We're going to be okay. They run out into the water and start swimming. They're 100 yards that way down the beach from me. And I'm like, we're over here, man. I told the guy up there, we're over here. Apparently, somebody had gotten word that we were out there struggling. So they called the whole lifeguard rescue unit. They came, but they were 100 yards down the beach, and they were nowhere near us. I watch them jump into the water, and all those guys swimming. And they get out there, and they're out there in the middle of the ocean going, who are we saving? You know what I mean? I'm like... So, the lifeguards didn't help me at all. I finally dragged this dude back up on the beach, the cusser, we'll call him that. And he had some sort of German accent. So, when he cussed, it was really aggressive. You know what I mean? So, he was, he was cussing this, this, this dude. And, and, and I, 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 I mean, it's like Darth Vader to me try, up on the beach, <sighs> trying to breathe. You know, I mean, because I cannot breathe. I am, I'm just, I am so winded. Like, I thought I was going to drown out there. We get up on the beach, and, and I'm like, does he not speak? Is this guy, is he, got, is he deaf, is he, you know, what's the issue? And the guy, he starts talking then. He said, man, i I just scared, I can't swim. And that's all he said. <laughs> I'm up there on the beach, like this, rescued two guys, they're up there. Lifeguards finally come up to do nothing. Just look at us, I guess. They finally in their little truck, their red truck come up, making sure everybody's okay. I lay there for a few minutes and I get up and walk back down the beach. Nobody said a word. Nobody was like, hey, thank you for making sure we weren't dying. Thank you for, you know, almost risking your life so that we could live. I appreciate that. None of that. I just said, forget about it. <laughs> It's okay. I didn't really do it for you. I did it because I felt like I needed to, so that's what I did, and so I just walked back down the beach, but you know that there was something inside of my heart that was about to pound out of my chest because I couldn't breathe that was going, man, I wish somebody would at least said thank you, right? It was at least the side of me going, it sure would have been nice if somebody would have patted me on the back and said, hey, man, thanks for dying. I appreciate it. Can you use some oxygen? Can we get you an oxygen tank or something, you know? That would have been really nice, but None of that happened. The the lifeguards, they came to the rescue finally once we were all on the beach. I appreciate them. Uh, I probably didn't give such a good plug for the Jacksonville Beach lifeguards, but Jacksonville Beach is a very nice place. But there's a human side of us that wants some sort of recognition for what we do and what we give. But that's not Christ like. It's really not Christ like if we do it expecting to receive something. You don't give with the expectation to receive. We talk about that that term all the time. It's it's always better to give than to receive, but there's something inside of us that wants to give expecting something in return, even if it's a pat on the back or a well done or a good job. We're going to talk about, uh, during this sermon series, we're going to talk about what it really means to give and give of the heart, not just give of your finances, because that's easy to write a check. It really is. It really is easy to write a check, but God calls us to give everything and even to those people that don't love us or appreciate us or even, that aren't even thankful for us. Give them all. That's what being a Christian is. That's what means writing that blank check to God and giving it to to him and saying, God, whatever you would have for me, that's what I'm going to do. That's really what it looks like. So we're going to look at a, a parable today that Jesus was teaching in Luke chapter 10. Beginning in verse 25, he's talk, you've heard this story before probably if you've been in church before. Or even if you haven't been, you've heard of a good Samaritan. That, that term like, is, is used quite a bit, a good Samaritan, a, a Samaritan, right? As a matter of fact, the Operation Christmas Child, shoeboxes that we do, that, that, those are done under the guise of an uh, organization called Samaritan's Purse, right? Well, I want you to understand that a, a Samaritan in those days, to so the Jewish people, was not looked at as a good thing. Today, if you say Samaritan, immediately people think of a Samaritan as a good person, right? Well, that was not what they thought of back in Jesus' day. When they thought of a Samaritan, they thought of somebody that had sold out. They had gone outside their people to to marry some other folks. They're not marrying Jews like we're supposed to do. They're going and marrying other folks, and they're, they're selling out, and some of them are going and worshiping other gods as a result. So a Samaritan was not looked on as a positive thing. It was a very negative thing. As a matter of fact, the Jews hated Samaritans. So much so that they felt like if they walked where the Samaritans had walked, if they walked in Samaria, that they they would be tainted, that that there would be something wrong with them, that that they would be defiled, that they would be unholy because they had been in Samaria. So they would walk a long way around Samaria just to make sure they didn't have to walk into Samaria. And Jesus He tells a parable about a Samaritan that we're going to look at today. We're going to look at a Samaritan that knows what it means to give. In verse 25, it says, One day an expert in the religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question, Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? What should I do, Jesus? If you're the great teacher, if you're the great rabbi, what am I supposed to do to have a relationship with God so that I have eternity with God? What am I supposed to do? This was a, a guy that was a teacher of the law. He was an expert in the religious law. Some people say they're, 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 scribe. this is a scribe of some sort, one that's supposed to know the religious law of the day. And here he is testing Jesus. Now, let me give you some advice. You can ask Jesus questions, and, and you can even challenge Jesus with what's on your heart and you can even be angry at Jesus. God can handle that, by the way. A lot of people are like, can I be angry at God? Yes, you can. Just have your heart open to whatever he says to you in return. And here, somebody's about to test Jesus. You you can share with Jesus what's in your heart and if you're frustrated with God, you can share that with him. I don't recommend you test him. He's a lot smarter than you and I. This guy that was about to test Jesus, ends up being tested himself. And let me assure you, is when you ask Jesus a question, you better be sure that you're ready for God to examine your heart and show you what's really on the inside. Here he is asking Jesus a question, and Jesus in turn is going to do what Jesus always does and kind of show him a question that's on his heart too. There's a guy, he knows the law, he's going to stand up and test Jesus. He said, what do I need to do to inter- inherit eternal life? Jesus, you tell me what I need to do to inherit eternal life. So Jesus asked him a question. Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? (laughs) I like it. I like it. (laughs) Jesus says two things here. I like what he said. Now, some of you like, I don't understand why he's laughing. Jesus says two things. He says, one, he says, what does the law of Moses say? Now, Jesus is asking this question. You think Jesus knows what the law of Moses says? Yeah, he probably does, right? He probably knows. You know, him being God and all, he probably has a pretty good idea of what the law of Moses says. So he asks the guy, what does the law of Moses say? And then he asks the second question, which is, how do you read it? Now, when you ask Jesus a question, when when you get ready to ask him a real question about something that you really want to know the truth of, he's probably going to ask you two questions. One, what does the Bible say? And number two, how do you read it? That's what the Holy Spirit of God is going to convict you over, is how do you read it? What do you hear it say? What does it say to you at this particular point in your life, the experiences that you've had, and where you are in your pain and in your suffering, how do you read it? And even when you're caught in the midst of sin and and, and God's revealing stuff to you, he's going to say, how do you read this? What does this say to you? that's the beautiful thing about the Word of God is that when you dig into it and you look and look and look it speaks to you on different levels depending on where you are in your life that's why we call it the living word is because you can read something now and read it again in six months and you'll see something completely different and a lot of that is dependent upon the things you've experienced and that you've seen and how you've grown in your relationship with God I, I, I see things now that, that like even though I preach the same passage twice Three years apart, a lot of times I'll see things that I never saw before. It's living, it's breathing, it, it is different based on where you are. That's why a lot of people tell me when I'm preaching to them, they're like, this is what I heard. And I go, I don't know if I said that, but that's pretty good. You know what I mean? Like, they say, no, you preach that message just for me. This is what I heard. And I'm like, you know it wasn't me that said that to you, right? You, you know, I'm, I, all I did was take the word and to, told you what it said That's what God said to you because of where you are in your heart and in your life right now? God wanted to speak to you in this particular manner, and that's why you heard what you heard? It has little to nothing to do with what Kenny said. It has everything to do with what God has said. What does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? That's how he challenges this guy. Once he's challenging Jesus, he says, what's the law of Moses saying? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your strength, and all your mind. Oh, pretty good, right? Like this, this, this scribe, this, this religious lawyer, he's got it down. Man, he knows what Jesus is going to say. He knows a, what the law of Moses says. And he also knows what Jesus is going to say in response. So he just regurgitates exactly what, what the teacher has said before. He spouts it right back, right back out at him. Now, this is good if you're in history class, right? Like one of the things I used to do, I remember when I was in high school and I, I had AP European history and I, I, I loved European history, right? Because a lot of stuff that had to do with the Bible and all that kind of stuff. I loved AP European history and what I would do is I would memorize what the teacher would say and I would write it back down on the test and I'd be like, you can't count it wrong because this is what you said in class. I memorized it word for word so you know that I'm right here. It was hard to count off when he... Just the words he had said, you know. And here, I don't say that boastfully. I'm a freak, okay? That's why I memorize stuff. It's because I'm weird, okay? But here, this lawyer's trying to test Jesus. And he's regurgitating what Jesus would say himself. And Jesus had just asked him. He says, how do you read it? Love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus has told him, do this and you will live. The man wanted to justify his actions, so we asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Can you imagine if you say that I'm supposed to love the Lord my God with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength and love my neighbor as myself? Do you realize how big of a task that is? Do you realize how virtually impossible that is to do? To love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And to love your neighbor as much as you love you. Do you realize what a monumental task that is? If you don't realize it, then you're not a Christian. Because a Christian will struggle with that every single day of their life. God, how can I love you more? There's some element in my life that I have not given to you. How can I love you more? I want so desperately to give you everything. And it is so hard. And then we see somebody, and we see them hurting and in pain and in need. And Sometimes it's so hard to minister to them. Maybe it's because we don't like them, or maybe it's because we don't know them. Do you understand how much of a monumental task that it is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself? Here is this religious uh, lawyer, and I, I believe he doesn't grasp the gravity of what he just said. And what does he do? He says, who's my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? Of all of that that he just recited back to Jesus, his biggest concern is, well, who's my neighbor? This monumental task that that, that he's just quoted before Jesus and all he can think of, well, I can do all that stuff. Just tell me who my neighbor is. (laughs) What a joke, right? Right. What a joke. He thinks he's self-righteous. He thinks he's got it all worked out. He thinks he's doing all that other stuff. He just needs to know who his neighbor is. He just needs a cherry on the top so he can say, oh, well, my neighbor is so-and-so. And And understand that Jews believe that their neighbors were just the people that were in their little circle of friends. They were only, only in their, especially the religious lawyers. They were only these people that were in their religious lawyer circle. You know what I mean? Like, like that's the people that, that they cared about and that's the people they thought they were supposed to love and to, to provide for. Is only this little circle right here around me. And he asks, well, who's my neighbor, right? It's the people around me, right? And Jesus challenges him with a story. You know, in us in our lives, man, we, we really need to recognize who our neighbor is. That's important. Don't get me wrong, it really is important. But man, we need to spend a whole lot of time focusing on how I can love the Lord my God with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength and love my neighbor as myself. To love people like I love myself. To provide for people like I provide for myself. That's a a big monumental task, but I believe that's what Jesus is challenging us with here. This guy wanted to know who his neighbor was. So Jesus turns it right back around on him. Turns it right back around on him. Jesus replied with a story. My dad did this to me the other day. I asked him a question. I asked him buy a t-shirt. He gave me a 15-minute story. I said, I didn't want a story. I just wanted you to buy a t-shirt. That really happened, by the way. Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho. And he was attacked by bandits. The particular road he's talking about. It was a very treacherous road full of big boulders on the side of the road. It was a rough road. Uh, The big boulders, a lot of times, bandits would hide out behind the the boulders so they could attack the people who were ever traveling down that road. They would attack them and beat them up and steal all their goods and all this kind of stuff. And uh, It was just a rough place. And here's a guy headed down this rough road and he was attacked by bandits. He was attacked by robbers and people were trying to take his stuff. This is something that Jewish... Lawyer could have probably understood. He probably could have understood somebody going down this road and being attacked by robbers because it's probably a pretty frequent occurrence in this particular place. It's like, okay, I get you, okay. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along. Oh, good. So this guy is beat half to death. They've taken everything he's got, even his clothes, and he's he's left half dead. Laying in the ditch somewhere on the verge of death, and a priest is coming by. Oh, good. If I had my choice of anybody, this man's probably thinking, if I had my choice of anybody who could be rolling down the road at this particular time, a priest would be it. A priest would be the guy that I would want rolling down the road while I'm laying half dead in the ditch bleeding and bruised up and all that. A priest, man, that's somebody that's going to show me compassion. That's somebody that's going to do whatever they can to get me back on my feet. He says, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. There's a lot of commentaries on the Bible that you can read about why the priest may have done this. Maybe he thought he was going to be defiled if he went over there and Touch the man and maybe he's on the way to the temple or blah, 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 any number of things. All I know is this, is that Jesus is talking about this priest. And he may not have been talking about every priest, but he was making a generalized tur- uh, uh, idea here that, that this priest was walking down the road, saw the man lying half dead in the ditch. And what did he do? Instead of walking anywhere close to him, he walked to the other side so he didn't have to deal with him. Does that sound like loving your neighbor as yourself? Does that sound like the kind of relationship God has called us to To, to if we see somebody instead of going and finding out what their needs are? Now, I'm not telling you that every single person that's got a need, you need to go up to them and you need to address their need, whatever it is. But I think this, I think that you should at least identify what is going on in their life and at least recognize that there's a need there. This priest didn't even want to deal with the need. He just wanted to go to the other side so we didn't have to deal with the pressure of it. And that's how we crossed by, just on the other side. And the man was still laying over there in the ditch. This man had all the hope in the world that, that religion would save him. Religion would be the answer for him. This religious man, super religious man, he's a priest. Spends all of his time in the temple. Spends all of his time telling people what, what the law of God says. He thought religion would save him. Religion passed him by. Religion passed him by. As a matter of fact, religion turned its head and didn't want to look at him and passed him by. Religion will not save you. Religion will not save you. Being religious will not save you. Coming to church will not save you. You will not be rescued. It takes more than that. It takes more than that. Here we see a priest passing by on the other side. A temple assistant. This would have been a Levite. Walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. At least the Levite, at least the guy that's in charge of some of the, uh, the he's been an assistant to, to all the things that happened in the temple. At least he went over there. I, I don't know which is worse. Ignoring the fact that he's over there, going at, over there, looking at him and seeing what a desperate condition and state that he's in and then passing him by. I don't know which one's worse, but I think they're both bad. I think they're both pretty, pretty awful if you ask me. One to ignore him, the other to see the need and not meet the need. There are tons of people that, that I believe that, that we go up to them and we, we see their need, but we're not willing to, to meet their need. You know why? Because we don't love our neighbor as ourselves. We, we don't love our neighbor as ourselves. Now, I have to be very careful here. A lot of people say, well, does that mean every person that's over by Walmart taking up money That I'm supposed to help them and I'm supposed to give them $20. My answer to you is no. If the Holy Spirit of God convinces you that that's what you're supposed to do, then go ahead and do it. But let me caution you that you need to spend some time with that person figuring out what their needs really are. Because a lot of times, if you sit down and talk with them, you will smell the alcohol in their breath. And if you give them $20, the first place they're going is to the ABC store. Now, I'm not saying that you're not ever supposed to give them $20. I'm just saying that you should be so in tune with the Holy Spirit that you do as God leads you to do, but do not lead them into temptation. For a lot of people, money in their hands is temptation. I want to help people. I really do. And I want to help every single person I come in contact with. But I want to help them and not hurt them. And sometimes by giving them cash in their hands, I am hurting them and not helping them. Take them to McDonald's. Take them to Subway. Go eat with them. Learn something about them, maybe. Learn where they came from, what they're going through, what their struggles are in their life. You know why? Because writing a check is easy. Handing them 20 bucks out the window, that's the easy answer. You think that's what... Is that, is that what God meant when he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself to hand them 20 bucks? Does 20 bucks show them you love them? Or just going and sitting down and having a meal with them, talking to them one-on-one about their struggles in their life, is that what you would want somebody to do to you? Is that how you would want somebody to respond to you if you were in that situation? Or would you just want them to hand you 20 bucks and move down the road? Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. A despised Samaritan, you know the guys you don't like, the people you think it's unholy to walk where they've walked, you know those guys, here's one of them, he happens to be traveling down this same road, and he sees this man, he sees the condition that he's in, and he has compassion for him, but that's not it. A lot of people right there, that's where, the, that's where the story stops for most people, right? That's where it stops. I said, oh, man, I had such compassion for that person. Oh, I feel so bad for that person and their state that they're in. Oh, I feel such compassion for, for, for their life and where they are and how they got to this place. Oh, my heart breaks for them. And most people, the story stops right there. But it didn't stop right there for this man. Going over, he went somewhere. He went over to him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Can you imagine a dirty, beat-up, naked man over in the, in the gutters who's traveling down this road, has been attacked by bandits, and he's, he's bloodied and bruised. And here's this Samaritan wiping oil and putting bandages on his wounds taking the expensive oils to to take care of this man. Here he is taking care of him, but it it gets more elaborate than that. It's more lavish than that. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day he handed the innkeeper silver coins telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. So this man gets off his donkey to go and put the broken, beat up, and bloodied man on his donkey. So he could put him in his place is what he did. Talking about loving your neighbor as yourself, he says, you ride, I'll walk. I want you to have it better than me. And he puts him on his donkey in place so he's walking and this man is riding. That's loving your neighbor as yourself. He's bandaged his wounds. He's rubbed him with olive oil and with wine to take care of him. And now he's taken him to an inn. Now, look at what he does. He doesn't just drop him off. He doesn't just say, Good luck, man. This innkeeper's got you. It says the next day. He stayed with him there that night and took care of him through the night, is what that means. That means that, that he actually stayed with him and cared for him and made sure he was okay before he ever left. This despised Samaritans, the, the, the ones that everybody hated, this is the kind of person this particular Samaritan was. And it, it says that he, he gave him like two silver coins. You know that this would have been like enough money to probably pay for him to stay there a month or two? to stay at that inn like for a long period of time, you're like, well, why is that a big deal? Why, why, why should we care about the fact that he, he stayed, paid for him to stay there a long time? Lavish love is what this man poured out, what this Samaritan poured out on this other man. Lavish love, extreme love. The kind of care and compassion that just overflowed out of his heart. And it was exemplified in the fact that he gave so much money. Kenny, are you telling us we're supposed to give so much money? I think that we're supposed to give as the Spirit of God leads us to give. As the Spirit of God challenges us and shows us how much he's lavishly loved us. I think you need to tune into the Holy Spirit of God and give lavishly as God has called you to give. And sometimes that's financially, here we see a man gay financially, right? But that ain't all he did. He felt compassion on the man. He, he nursed his wounds. He put him up on his donkey in his place so that he could walk and this man could ride. Took him to the inn, cared for him overnight to make sure he was okay. And then lavishly paid for him to stay there for a long time. The money was just a small portion of what the man did. But when he did it, he did it lavishly. He says, Not only am I going to take care of him, but whatever else he needs, you take care of him, I'll pay that when I return. I'll pay that too. Whatever else happens in the future, I'll pay that too. I'll pay that too. He says, Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? Jesus asked. The man replied, The one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, go and do the same. He made this religious lawyer confess that the Samaritan was the good one. That the Levite and the priest were the bad one and the Samaritan was the good one. He was asking who the neighbor was and Jesus' answer is, the one that you hate. Who is my neighbor? Who am I supposed to care for lavishly? Surely it's the priests in the temple or the Levites that are helping in the temple. And Jesus says, no, it's the Samaritans that you hate that are on the other side of the border. That's the people you're supposed to care for like that. I cannot help but to look at this story and think of Jesus. We're supposed to be Christians, we're supposed to act like Jesus and love like Jesus and all those kinds of things. I can't help but to think of Jesus when I read about this Samaritan. And you know who's in the ditch? You know who's bloody and bruised? And full of wounds and scars and half dead. You know who that is? That's me. That's me. In my sins and in my trespasses, the things I've done to break the heart of God over and over and over and over again, Uh, the things that I've done that nobody, really, it wasn't because of bandits that I'm laying in a ditch half dead and scarred up and beaten up. It's because of my own sin and the things that, that I chose to do that I knew were against God. Nobody else is responsible for my wounds. The person that's responsible is me. The bandits are, are, are the, the things inside of me, that my flesh that draws me towards the things that aren't of God. I'm the one that's caused all the scarring. I'm the one that's done all that. And Jesus looks at me in the ditch, naked, bloody, half dead. What does he do? He puts me up in the place where he should be. He picks me up out of the ditch and puts me in the place where he should be. Not only does he care for me, not only did he nurse my wounds when he picked me up, but he puts me in the place where he should be and then takes me to a place where he can care for my needs, not only for today, but also for the future. Paying the penalty, paying the price for not only today, but also in the future. I can't help but to see Jesus in this story. You, in your life, you've done things. You've you've broken the heart of God over and over and over again in life. I hope that you recognize what Jesus did for you. The kind of lavish love that Jesus poured out on you, even though you didn't deserve it, even though you, you had done things that were against God, the things that Jesus did for you, even though he didn't have to, and even the fact that he paid the price, not only for today, but for the future. When you recognize that kind of love, when you recognize the kind of love that God has poured out on you through his son Jesus Christ, when you really get close to that that understanding, you know what it does? It makes you love everyone else as much as you love yourself. Through what? Through the gospel of Jesus? You want yourself to be saved. You want yourself to inherit eternal life. Do you feel that way about the people you hate? About the people that you hate? Do you want them to spend eternity with God? When you challenge God, when you challenge Jesus with a question, God, can you save me? The question God is asking you is, well, can you lead somebody else to the same saving relationship that you want can you do that with the people you hate? It's a big question, right? It's a big question. Remember, when you sign up to be a Christian, when you, when you give him that blank check, when you say, God, whatever you have for my life, I want you to understand the gravity of what that means. When you say, I am giving it all to you, God, He's going to challenge you with that question and say, are you giving it all to me? What about your love for the people you hate? What about those people? Are you giving me your bitterness, your malice, your frustration? All, all the things that are built up in your heart that are against me, are you giving those to me as well? Are you? That's the challenge Jesus gives us. As we talk about giving, understand it's a whole lot more than writing a check. It's a whole lot more than that. Let me pray. Father, thank you, God, for pouring out on us so lavishly. God, your grace and mercy, God, it's, it's more than just nursing our wounds. It's, it's nursing our wounds for all of eternity. It's paying the price for all of the future sins that we will commit. Not just the sins we committed in the past, but all the future sins we will commit as well. God, I think we've been so blinded by our own selfishness so many times. God, we don't see the needs of others and we certainly don't see the needs of our enemies. I pray that we wouldn't be like that if we're going to be like Christ. I pray that we'd be so changed by the truth of your word, God, that we'd love the people that, that we hate. God, that we want to take the people that we hate and put them in our place. God, give them a place of prominence in our life. I pray for the people that call themselves Christians in this place, that you would challenge them through the power of your Holy Spirit. That when they wrote their life over to you and they say, God, you've got a blank check with my life, that you would challenge them and show them what that really means. God, that we'd stop living these watered-down lives and we'd really be Christians. We'd really be Christ followers and disciples of Jesus. God, I pray, Lord, please, Jesus, the people here that don't know you, they know they're not a Christian, I pray that you would draw them to you. I pray that you would give them that invitation of come. Tell them to, to just come just like they are and they can fall down in front of you and God, you will nurse their wounds. God, you will put them in your place that you deserve. I pray for that person. Now they know they're not a Christian and they want to be. I pray that they would just come. God, I thank you for your all-sustaining grace. Your amazing mercy. Thank you, Father, for paying the penalty for me and my sins, for my flesh that has overpowered me so many times. God, I thank you for that. Lord, I pray that you would rescue somebody. I pray that you'd save somebody today. I pray that somebody would come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, that you would nurse their wounds, Father. Thank you so much, Lord, for this time and for your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name. Amen. Everybody please stand. I want to tell you something. You know what I think kept those guys from saying thank you to me that day when I went out there and swam out there? One word, pride. They didn't want to admit that they'd done something stupid. They didn't want to admit that they'd they'd made a mistake. So I just simply walked off, and and pride kept them from saying thank you. You know what leaves people in the ditch all the time, unwilling to accept the the offer of, of salvation of help that jesus has to give to them you know what keeps them in the ditch is their unwillingness to let go and say i've made a mistake i made a bad decision by walking down this road and here i am god i need your help but their pride keeps them from doing it their pride keeps them from surrendering to the help that jesus has to offer them so they stay there half dead and maybe even dying in the ditch an eternal death to be separated from god forever They don't inherit eternal life because of their pride. Because of their pride. It's the same pride that keeps you from raising your hands during worship. And it's the same pride that keeps you from falling down at this altar and praying to God. That same pride is what I'm talking about. Will you let that pride die today? Will you bring it down to this altar and let it die? Will you sacrifice it on the altar of grace and say, God, take my pride because I want to worship you in spirit and in truth and I want to raise my hands and say, there is a God Almighty who has poured out on me even though I was really stupid and went down a path that I shouldn't have gone down. He pulled me out of the ditch and put me in this place and I don't want my pride to stand between me and a God like that. Will you come down here and give it to God? Will you sacrifice that pride today?